an appeal to witnesses of a targeted killing. This was a shocking and very public act of violence against a well-known community member. What we're learning about the Sikh leader gunned down outside a place of worship. The deteriorating dispute in Surrey. It's embarrassing. There is no way that we should be having this kind of dialogue. The back and forth spat that's preventing a resolution to the policing debacle. And the search for a missing submarine lost near the Titanic. We had a similar scenario where we kind of got stuck at the bottom for some time. The BC man who's been down there and why he believes there's still hope the crew will be rescued. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good afternoon. Thanks very much for uh, joining us. Sophie is off this week. Now we start with the policing spat in Surrey, which took another tense turn today. Minister of Public Safety Mike Farnworth dialed up the pressure on Surrey City Council to make an informed decision. Janet Brown is live with more on the deadline issued by Minister Farnworth and the angry response from Surrey Mayor Brenda Locke. Janet. Well, Chris, the controversy certainly continues here in Surrey when it comes to the issue of policing. And as you say, there were more twists and turns again today, this time involving Surrey Mayor Brenda Locke and Public Safety Minister Mike Farnworth. It's embarrassing. The fight is getting nasty and personal, with Surrey Mayor Brenda Locke claiming she's being bullied by Public Safety Minister Mike Farnworth. I have never, ever used the gender card. But in this case, I absolutely think there is misogyny going on, no doubt in my mind. And actually, it's not just me. I've had many people reach out to me and say he would have never treated Doug McCallum like this. Several female MLAs were quick to leap to Farnworth's defense on social media. Farnworth did not address that in a statement he released late today, only saying the province has received Surrey's report on policing and it is being reviewed. The comments follow an ultimatum by Farnworth for a report City Council voted on behind closed doors back on Thursday to retain the RCMP and stop the transition to the Surrey Police Service. Farnworth says if he did not receive the report by deadline, he would be forced to make a determination about what is necessary for safe and effective policing without it. Locke not impressed with the ultimatum. Today, once again... We have a Solicitor General taking the issue, the issue of public safety and using it in the media rather than dealing with the very people he should be talking to. Premier David Eby is also offering up his comments again on the ongoing battle. I have uh, significant anxiety about uh, the situation related to policing in Surrey. The mayor remains steadfast. I can't find one good reason we would go with the Surrey Police Service. You will be seeing your own Surrey Police Force. At one time, Locke did have reasons, as she was part of the McCallum team, that brought in the Surrey Police Service until the two had a parting of the ways and she ran against him on a platform of retaining the RCMP. Caught in the middle of all this, the Surrey taxpayer who faces a bill of roughly $8 million every month to support two police services. Locke was asked what the city will do if the province orders the city to continue with the transition to the Surrey Police Service. We have our legal staff looking at this and we have uh, legal um, taking a look at where we sit.
so far now anyways, Chris, it appears that the ball is back in the court of the provincial government. And as one person described it, this is the same book, a different chapter, but the end of the book is still a very long ways away. Back to you. <laughs> Seems like we're at the prologue sometimes here, doesn't it? Janet, thank you very much for that. Janet Brown reporting live in Surrey. Now, Keith Baldry joins us with a little bit more on this. Keith, just when you think it can't get any more bizarre, yet another twist in a delayed decision here. Yeah, I've never seen actually that kind of personal attack from one politician to another, the likes of which we saw today. Very unusual in, in the rough and ready uh, circus of B.C. politics. But having said that, I talked to Mike Farnover several times today. He, the staff now does have the report, as Janet just reported. They are going through it. He's not offering a timeline here. Who knows whether we're still days or weeks away from uh, the final decision. What's interesting, though, unlike the government's report, which went to Surrey and they had to sign a non-disclosure agreement, uh, considerable a number of pages of that report were made public. In fact, the executive summary is there for the public to see. In this report, uh, written internally in Surrey, all 400 pages or so are subject to the non-disclosure agreement. So right now, everyone who's got a copy can't talk about it in detail, and it's quite conceivable we may never know what's in that report because the only people who have it have signed non-disclosure agreements and they can't break those NDAs. So again, a very strange saga and one that continues to get stranger by the day. It certainly does. All right, Keith, thanks very much for that. Now, a community is reeling after a fatal shooting outside a Sikh temple. The president of the Guru Nanak Sikh Gurdwara, Hardip Singh Nijar, was gunned down in his vehicle while in the temple parking lot. Krista Dow is live in Surrey with more on today's developments, including the latest from IHIT. Krista. Well, Chris, this was a high-profile shooting. Many here uh, saying they're sad. There's sadness here, anxiety and anger. Many questioning how this could have happened in the parking lot outside a place of worship. Now, we're seeing dozens of people come in through the doors behind me here, and we expect hundreds more to gather here tonight as they come in and offer prayers and pay tribute. There is shock and grief in the Surrey community as members learn their president, Hardeep Singh Nijar, was shot and killed in the parking lot outside the very place he served, the Guru Nanak Sikh Gudwara. A huge loss for, I want to say, for the Canadian Sikhs. Like he was a face of Canada Sikh. You, know, you can say like a leader. Like we can feel like a family member has gone for us. Like big loss for us. So that's it. We have no words to speak anything else. Niger was shot and killed in his truck just after evening prayers around 8.30 Sunday. Police believe he was targeted. No suspects have been identified. This was a shocking and very public act of violence against a well-known community member and Gudwara president. What I can say is that the information that we've gathered, it does appear to be a targeted incident in terms of uh, the premeditation. Police say they won't speculate on motive, but members of the Sikh community say he was receiving threats. So he has been receiving those threats discreetly and was very concerned. This radio host and journalist spoke to him last month and said Nijar was fearful and concerned for his safety. I was shocked, obviously, but to be honest with you, I wasn't surprised because I somehow felt that something is coming up because Hardeep has been very vocal about it. He told me that the RCMP visited Niger and also a couple of other people to warn them to be careful. 
to watch their back. RCMP would not confirm those threats, nor if they're in talks with CSIS. Singh believes Niger received threats because of his outspokenness and support for a separate Sikh state in India called Khalistan. Niger was being accused of several terror-related activities by the Indian government, one of which was running a terrorist training camp in Mission. That claim unsubstantiated by RCMP. His death causing anxiety throughout the community. People are so scared because uh, you guys know no one was want to make any If the statement. president can be killed in his own premises, so how can we say we, we are, are safe? safe? Now, Chris, RCMP say victim services is available for anyone who needs it. In the meantime, they are appealing to witnesses. Anyone who was in this area around that time or who has dash cam video is asked to contact them in hopes of furthering the investigation as the community here in Surrey mourn their president, Chris. Krista Dow, live in Surrey for us. Thank you for that, Krista. Nanaimo RCMP are investigating the brutal beating of a teenager and a warning some of the images in this report are disturbing. Video of the attack was posted online showing the teen being beaten with a baseball bat. Kylie Stanton reports. I came here and found the young man hunched over the curb. In broad daylight along a busy street, Barclay Kelly heard the screams and came rushing outside. I didn't get to see the baseball bat incident itself. I've only seen it on tape. Video of the incident that unfolded near the corner of Bruce Avenue and Dundas Street just before 5 p.m. on Friday quickly began circulating on social media, showing the vicious attack play out. Police are now investigating. The victim was approached, hit with a baseball bat, and kicked at least once in the head. The suspect then left with four or five others. They ran off on foot. Cut the chit-chat, Goofy, you, I like that, Goofy. This video, also making the rounds online, appears to show the aftermath of the assault, seemingly recorded by the alleged perpetrator. This clip was shared directly with Global News via a viewer. Through your face, knock your nose in, Bystanders performed first aid on the victim until first responders arrived on scene. Didn't know at that point whether he was alive or dead and just watched the ambulance uh, put him onto a stretcher and load him up. The 18-year-old was taken to Nanaimo General Hospital with serious life-threatening injuries before being airlifted to Victoria General. And he was stabilized at some point and he remains stable at this time. Police located a vehicle associated with the assault. The registered owner has been identified and it's been seized for a forensic examination. But so far, no arrests have been made, leaving the community rattled. It's just terrifying. Like, I have a 14-year-old son myself and I can't believe how many people were just driving by and not helping, not doing anything. Police say the video has generated a lot of interest, along with several tips. Kelly is hopeful whoever's responsible will be brought to justice. You don't realize that one hit, you can change somebody's whole life, family's life, everything. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Capilano University students have launched a petition urging their school's union to end its strike. They say enough is enough and believe the future of their education is now in jeopardy. Talks between the university and the union collapsed two weeks ago. Grace Key reports. With classes cancelled for almost two weeks because of an ongoing strike, some University of Capilano students are voicing their frustration with an online petition asking for the strike to end and classes to resume. Our grades and our courses are in limbo 
and all of the effort that we have put in up to the point of the strike is essentially being undermined because we don't even know how those grades are going to translate in terms of a final mark on the course. About 350 union employees with Move Up started job action on May 15. That includes administration staff, the facilities crew and Children's Centre. The main sticking point is adding remote work language into the collective agreement. On June 6, classes were suspended when the Capilano University Faculty Association joined the strike in solidarity. The students are obviously very frustrated about what's going on and how this will affect them. Mm -hmm. So what is your response to that? I want to apologize to them and let them know that we really didn't want to get to this point, but when the employer isn't willing to negotiate, uh, we had to stick up for ourselves and our rights. The university says some instructors are continuing with classes while others have joined the picket line. A statement reads in part, affected students have been given the option of a full refund or tuition credit. For those who choose to continue, the university is progressing with implementation of a range of options for students, including possible assignment of a grade or credit or opportunity for further assessment. Students say they're left on their own to finish what they can on their courses, but with no support from instructors. The current semester ends on Friday. The second half of the summer semester starts July 4th. Students are especially concerned about the impact this will have on those expecting to graduate. Is there any way to maybe nudge the union or the university to see if, you know, either they settle faster or they settle outside of doing a strike and at least let us finish our courses and keep you know, going to class and stuff. The goal is to get 500 signatures for the petition. Then the students plan to send it to the union and university. Grace Key, Global News. He fulfilled a lifelong dream to visit the final resting place of the Titanic in the same submarine that just went missing in the North Atlantic. What local businessman and philanthropist Ron Toygo says about his time on the sub and the rescue operation underway right now. That's next on the News Hour. Just when you thought we might never see January, a shift in the forecast, what it means for wildfires and how long it could last, coming up a little later. Plus, celebrating 40 years of BC Place, the stadium that pumped up Yale Town. That's a little bit later as well. Right now, though, rescue teams from the U.S. and Canada are looking for a submarine that disappeared in the North Atlantic yesterday. The sub takes tourists and experts down to see the wreck of the Titanic but communication was lost with five people on board. Global's Redmond Shannon has more. It is a 10-ton high-tech submersible that can transport five people to the bottom of the ocean, and it's gone missing. A Canadian search vessel and a Canadian Forces Aurora aircraft have been deployed, along with a U.S. C-130, to the waters off Newfoundland and Labrador, where the Titanic is located. OceanGate operates the sub and says contact was lost Sunday. Ocean Gate says in a statement, we are exploring and mobilizing all options to bring the crew back safely and receiving assistance from several government agencies and deep sea companies in our efforts to reestablish contact with the submersible. The once in a lifetime opportunity. In its promotional video, Ocean Gate offers what it calls citizen scientists, the opportunity to dive down to explore the Titanic. Platform ready to dive. The cost is several tens of thousands of dollars per person with clientele like director James Cameron. The adventure acknowledges risks but emphasizes safety. I think the, the greatest likelihood is loss of communications, but certainly anything is possible. Jill Heinerth has been in touch with the crew on the surface vessel, the Polar Prince. She says there are many fail-safe measures on the sub. They can drop the ballast that holds them underwater and simply float back to the surface. I mean, this is a 
eight to 12 hour mission just to go down and back to the Titanic. There is life support capacity on board these subs for about 96 hours. So they have a lot of time. The submersible is almost seven meters long, about 22 feet. The capacity is designed for five people for up to 96 hours or four days. It can descend to a depth of 4,000 meters. The Titanic's depth is 3,800 meters below the surface on the ocean floor. At that depth, something serious could have happened. The Titanic lies in a trench. There is debris all around. There could have been uh, an accident. It could have become, become entangled in the wreckage of, of Titanic. Uh, it could indeed uh, have had a catastrophic failure. Uh, the answer is we don't know just yet. The Titanic was one of the world's worst maritime disasters. More than 1,500 lives were lost when it struck an iceberg and sank. Exploring it has been a fascination for people like BC's Ron Toigo, about whom Global News once did a story. It's always been one of those things that you're just mesmerized by for, and why, who knows. Tonight, the lives of five more people are the subject of a frantic search, very near where the search for the Titanic happened 111 years ago. Eric Sorensen, Global News, Toronto. Indeed, that was Eric and not Redmond Shannon. Now, more on BC businessman and philanthropist Ron Toigo. You saw in his report, he's one of the Ocean Gate customers to experience the submarine trip to the wreck of the Titanic. And Global News caught up to him today to get his take on the loss of communication and why there's still hope for a rescue. My first trip, we had a similar scenario where we kind of got stuck at the bottom for some time and you still felt uh, pretty safe, though. Um, the the um, Stockton Rush, who, who's the owner of the company, and uh, is 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 attention to detail is is second to none. And um, like the, the you spend your first number of days there, really going over everything that could go wrong and 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 how you're supposed to respond and and being prepared for for you know whatever happens and and you're really set up for five or six days if you had to stay at the bottom until um, they, they have to come and get you with a navy sub or something i never felt unsafe at any time and um, i know the the people at ocean gate um, safety is paramount about everything um, but at any things can happen and uh, i think they're prepared to to manage it and deal with it I honestly believe that they're going to be fine at the end of the day. Um, I, I, just a matter of um, it's 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 um, confusing on why there hasn't been any contact um, because they have so many different methods. I think I think it's four, at least four that I can recall different different communication systems that are on that thing, and. Um, you know, one of them's got to work, especially once you resurface. And uh, I, for the life of me, I can't imagine how they would never get to a point to be able to resurface. I feel sick for their families because um, you know a lot of them got young kids at home and they're wondering and the anxieties. I can't imagine. But knowing what I know, I, I feel pretty confident that that this is going to come to a, a good conclusion. It's just a matter of when it is. Let's hope he's right. Okay, still to come, BC's rental crisis worsens. Those three, four-story walk-ups we see in many communities, those didn't get built for 40 years. High costs, overcrowding, and how tapped-out renters are keeping a roof over their heads. Plus, disturbing developments at an unmarked gravesite in Kamloops. A new report indicates more than 100,000 British Columbians are at risk of homelessness 
due to a lack of affordable rentals. As Aaron MacArthur reports, a troubling number of these people are spending more than half their income on rent, the highest in Canada. Good afternoon. Thank you for having Hunter. Rochelle Goldstein finally has a typical relationship with her son Hunter. No longer his care provider, she can focus on being mom. Finding him a suitable, affordable home was no easy task. As Hunter's turned 19 and wants to do like every other kid, move out of home and has, has the right to do so. Even for people with fewer barriers, finding a home that doesn't break the bank is increasingly more difficult. In BC, 16% of renters spend more than 50% of their income on rent and utilities. According to the Canadian Rental Housing Index, more than 100,000 British Columbians face the risk of homelessness. And it isn't just a big city issue. Province-wide, the average rent, $1,492 a month, nearly $300 more than anywhere else in the country. Whether you're in Smithers or Kitimat or Prince George or over on the island, uh, there is a rental affordability crunch that many renters are experiencing. Because for too long, uh, government stepped back from providing the housing that people need. Monday, Premier uh, David Eby announcing funding for approximately 1,500 new rental homes in Burnaby. The province investing a quarter of a billion dollars in 10 separate projects. Mayor Mike Hurley saying the city has approved more non-market rental than ever, but admits there is more work to do. We had 30 years of non-action on, on rental homes and, and especially uh, affordable rental homes, and now we're all playing catch-up. The province is set to roll out more major housing announcements and projects over the rest of the summer into the fall. But the timeline on housing initiatives is so long, any relief from increased supply will be felt years from now. And until the supply promised is actually built, the rental situation in B.C. will only get worse. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. The province says two Surrey secondary schools will build additions to provide more space for more than 1,000 high school students. Education Minister Rachna Singh says expansions of Tamanawa Secondary and Guildford Park Secondary will create new classrooms. The district is facing significant growth with enrollment up nearly 2,500 students next year. Surrey also has the most portables of any school district in the province. We know how many people, a record number of people, have moved to British Columbia in the last two years. And many have chosen to make Surrey their home, as I did more than 20 years ago. Uh, the additions that we are announcing today will create 41 new classrooms, providing space for more than 1,000 high school students. Both additions will include neighborhood learning centers that could be used for child care or other local programs. Coming up next on the News Hour, grave deniers trying to disprove the story of missing children at former residential schools and how First Nations feel about it. It's been two years since the announcement of the discovery of 215 suspected unmarked graves outside the former Kamloops Residential School. And there's been a disturbing new development. A new report says there have been attempts by so-called denialists to dig up the ground trying to disprove the graves are there. Kamal Kuramali has more and a warning first. Some of the details in this story are disturbing. 
the time, the news of unmarked graves at the former Kamloops residential school was met with shock and outrage by many, while few others chose to cast doubt on whether children were ever buried there. Very disturbing and, and very disappointed that there are denialists out there. Now, a new report released Friday by the independent special interlocutor says deniers went as far as trying to dig up those sites. Denialists entered the site without permission. Some came in the middle of the night carrying shovels. They said they wanted to see for themselves if children are buried there. The author, Kimberly Murray, didn't say when these denialists came to the site, but added a a core group of Canadians continue to defend the Indian residential school system. Some still deny that children suffered physical, sexual, psychological, cultural and spiritual abuses, despite the TRC's indisputable evidence to the contrary. The desire to rewrite history, to um, think about things only the way that you are comfortable thinking about them and disregard whatever may have actually happened. I mean, that's that's a feature of our times. Former Nisconlet Indian band chief Judy Wilson's father is a survivor and often faces those who doubt his experience. When he's in the supermarkets, when he's out in the public, there's continued remarks. So the continued, continued denialism of these uh, groups or individuals really is just uh, opening up that trauma. The report highlights one solution would be to teach the history of residential schools in the current school curriculum. Kamal Karamali, Global News. And there is support for survivors. A 24-hour crisis line is available for anyone experiencing pain or distress as a result of their residential school experience. You can call toll-free and speak in confidence anytime. Just phone 1-800-721-0066. The trial of the man accused of murdering a young Burnaby teenager in 2017 has resumed. And as Ramina Dea reports, the court heard more testimony about some of the most crucial pieces of evidence. But first, again, a warning. Some of it might be disturbing. The young teen's father sitting in the back of the courtroom with his head down and eyes closed as forensic DNA expert Christine Crossman continued her testimony after a two-week-long adjournment. The girl found partially undressed in Burnaby Central Park almost six years ago. Crossman told the jury 14 exhibits were analyzed by the lab, 13 from the young girl and one from the suspect. She detailed the strict protocol used by the lab when it comes to the chain of custody for exhibits. A dry, sticky liquid from the teenager's neck was swapped. But what is it? We don't know yet. Defense wanted to cross-examine Ms. Crossman, but he was not allowed at this time. The judge told the jury it will happen later in the trial after part two of Crossman's evidence. But he did not go into detail because of a publication ban. Why is this important? The crux of Crown's case is the DNA evidence. There were no eyewitnesses to the killing in the forest, said Isabel Keeley in her opening address to the jury back in April. Crown is trying to prove Ibrahim Ali strangled the teenager in the course of sexually assaulting her. Ali's semen found inside the teen's body, says Crown. Ali has pleaded not guilty to first-degree murder. The trial will continue Tuesday with a second DNA expert, Jeremy Fenn, who has expertise in the area of biological substances, including semen. 
Romina Dea, Global News. In health matters tonight, a new intensive care unit is set to open at Nanaimo Regional General Hospital next week. The $41.6 million, 12-bed facility will feature ceiling-mounted service booms and overhead patient lifts, as well as a family consult room. It replaces the current 10-bed care unit that was built way back in 1970. Construction is also underway on a 12-bed high-acuity unit, which will provide a higher level of acute care than a general hospital ward. You will know that the current high-acuity unit is part of an extension of the emergency room, a standalone high-acuity unit added to this project when we saw and assessed the needs of the project is also great news for the people of Nanaimo. The high-acuity unit is set to open in the summer of next year. The overall cost of the two units is just over $60 million. Just ahead, a reminder of what June is usually like around here. We're hoping to kind of get the, uh, the January conti- conditions to continue. The benefits of cooler, wetter weather and why some are hoping it will stick around a little longer. Also tonight, a birthday party for BC Place. Vancouver's iconic stadium turns 40 with a lot of life left in it. Not often we're happy to see clouds and rain in June, but considering the wildfire situation across the province, the wetter, cooler weather is much more welcome than usual. As Travis Prasad reports, the return of January has almost instantly eased the fire risk. This Surrey water park sits empty. And the only splashes in this outdoor pool are coming from raindrops. Wipers are on. Umbrellas are open. Sure signs January is upon us. Well, it's more typical June weather. Temperatures are near average after an unseasonably hot start to the month. Wildfire smoke lingering on the south coast, now replaced with rain. And on the mountain passes, it's snow. This was the Okanagan connector on Sunday. Whistler also looking wintry, with snow falling and sticking. We're hoping to kind of get the January conditions to continue because it's, uh, it's beneficial for in many ways um, than the hot and dry that I think people want because we're coming into summer. They're sizing up now. Just ask Kelowna fruit grower Charlotte Hammond about the perks of cooler conditions. I would say the fruit is sizing up. It was very small before during the heat, which concerned me. But it's looking like it's balancing. While the change in the weather isn't changing the color of the grass, it certainly is changing it from potential kindling to just plain old wet grass. The wildfire service's maps tell the story. Monday's map showing most of BC at a very low to moderate rating with smaller pockets at high or extreme risk. Compare that to one week ago when vast stretches of the province were rated high or extreme. Still, officials say we aren't out of the woods yet. We did have the driest May on record. Um, We went into this fire season in a drought, and that forest uh, deep drought is is still present. We need a lot more rain just because of the start that we had with May, uh, just with the hot and dry conditions. I think they'd have to last a lot longer. But those umbrellas won't be needed much longer, with sun and above-average heat returning later this week. Travis Prasad, Global News. That's right. Summer starts or arrives officially on Wednesday, and it looks like that's when the summer weather returns as well. Christy's got the details for us right now.
Yeah, it's almost like Mother Nature planned it perfectly. Mm -hmm. So our transition day certainly will be Wednesday, and that's when we officially jump into summer. In the meantime, this is the cold upper-level trough that's in across the B.C. area, as well as Alberta, Saskatchewan. Snowfall warnings in Alberta. I'll show you that in a second, but quick look. So the uh, moisture is moving from east to west across the region. We're seeing significant precipitation along the east slopes of the Rockies, as well as the east slope of the coastal mountains. So areas like uh, the Chilcot as well as areas like Lytton getting hammered with rainfall. Now, these are the areas under a warning. That's the snowfall warning with potential for 60 centimeters of snow by the end of the day tomorrow. There's also a rainfall warning there. Now, for our region, not warnings. These are weather statements, and that is for the Chilcotin region as well as the North uh, Fraser Canyon region. So that's Lytton, for example, potential for 30 millimeters of rain, again, bumping up against the, against the mountains. And these areas here, the concern is for higher elevation snow. Yes, we have the potential for still some wet snow uh, tonight into tomorrow morning in these mountain passes uh, just over the highest elevations. Now, this is expected to shift out of the region, but not until the end of the day tomorrow for some areas, more so Wednesday morning. But we will see that transition out and we are back to warmth uh, on Wednesday for sure by the afternoon. So in the meantime, rain and much cooler. Look at that. A high of only 12 degrees for Kelowna, for uh, the Vancouver Island region. We'll see a bit more sunshine, but for our area, we are expecting expecting a few showers certainly throughout the day. We may catch some breaks late in the day, but overall it's going to be a cloudy, cool day. There's their transition day on summer solstice, and we've got pretty nice weather on the way beyond that. Here's a look at tonight's central windows weather window coming to you from Quinell. So Stephen, actually, and a number of people sending me photos of the clouds uh, just this evening or afternoon, you can see their stormy clouds uh, with those sort of uh, uh, bulbous sort of uh, pockets down below. Very cool. Thanks so much, Stephen. Stephen Dodge dodging raindrops in that exactly. in that photo for sure. Okay, Squire joins us now with a look ahead to what's coming up in sports. Well, we're going to talk, of course, later on in the show about BC Place having been around for 40 years now. And the Lions celebrated that 40th anniversary on the weekend with a shutout win over Edmonton. We'll talk about the Lions' defense, update you on the wide receiver injury situation. Also... It looks like Travis Green has an NHL job again. How about, How about that? that? Yeah. All right, we'll check in. And like Squire mentioned also tonight, it has held so many magic moments for this city. 40 years of BC Place and the big events that have defined it ever since David Bowie blew the doors open back in 1983. Squires here with sports, uh, BC Place celebration a little bit later, but they were celebrating well, at BC Place. Well, they had a good the crowd. Weekend. They had a yeah. really good crowd at BC Place. Um, in fact, the Lions celebrated with a win. <laughs> 22 nothing over Edmonton, and that puts the Lions at 2-0. and And it was a great crowd, over 30,000. And give the Lions ownership credit here. They made it a happening. They did what it takes to get people in the building. The Whitecaps should take a lesson, quite frankly. And uh, those who did see LL Cool J... Then got to see the Lions knock out Edmonton in large part because of BC's defense. It just wouldn't let the Elks get any rhythm. Now, the Elks, of course, are one of the CFL's worst teams. And the Lions have to play Winnipeg on Thursday. That will be tougher. They won't be able to shut out the Blue Bombers. But the defense deserves props nonetheless.
It was a suffocating defensive effort that Lions fans hadn't seen in decades. BC shutting out Edmonton 22-0 for the Lions' first shutout victory since 1977. I mean, it's just something that you just don't see, right? And it's something that's very hard to do. I mean, especially in today's game, right? When the things are a little bit more offensive friendly, you know, and things like that, whether it's penalty-wise or anything like that, and mistakes happen. You know, someone can slip and fall or anything, but to give up zero in a professional game, you just don't see that. And I haven't been a part of none until now, and it's a tremendous feeling. The Lions limited the Elks to just 139 yards of net offense. Edmonton managing just 36 plays on the night compared to BC's 64. And that right there is total domination and exemplifies the Leo's defensive mindset. And I mean, uh, fourth quarter, we were watching the game earlier, and I mean, they, I think they had 12 plays in the second half. So, I mean, our offense was on the field a lot, which makes the job easier for the defense. We get to sit back and drink Gatorade, so yeah. We have goals, right? We have goals. And, you know, for us, you know, we want to keep passing yards at a minimum. We want to get hits on the quarterback, you know, to a certain amount. And we want to get hurries. And my model, no matter what, is you got to stop the guy that touches the ball every play. And that's the reality of it. I don't care if you're a DB or anything like that. We got to now do something to disrupt him. And that's the goal every single game. And yes, passing yards are one thing, but my thing is if we can get hits on the quarterback, make him now feel a little disgruntled, you know, now start doubting some things that's happening around him, I feel right then and there he plays into our hands. It's definitely a unit kind of thing. It's everybody, you know, it's the DBs, it's the linebackers, the D-line, it's all of us collectively. And RP always talks about, you know, being a defense that is, um, that attacks, you know what I'm saying? A defense that is uh, a dic dictating di uh, defense. We tell them what they can and cannot do. You know, we're, we're not counter punches. So I really like that theme. I think that is, you know, the theme going to, you know, playing defense um, all, all season long. And so we, uh, you know, we, we thrive off that. Now, the BC Lions are getting a bit thin at wide receiver, and they don't have a lot of time before their next game, which is in Winnipeg on Thursday. Dominic Grimes injured his foot in the game against Edmonton, did not practice today, but Lucky Whitehead, who didn't play against the Elks because of a hamstring issue, was practicing today. He might be able to go on Thursday. Yes, uh, I'm, I'm going to practice tomorrow. Uh, obviously, feel, feel it out. And, and uh, right now, I feel good, so... That's the main thing. I want to go out there feeling good. So I don't want to, like I said, I don't want to rush too much. But, yeah, I mean, it's short. It's very young in the season. But as of right now, yeah, I'm going. Well, it looks like former Canucks coach Travis Green is going to get back in the NHL. There are reports that he's about to become an assistant coach with the New Jersey Devils, helping out veteran coach Lindy Ruff. The assistant's job came up when Andrew Brunette left to uh, join the Devils, make that the National Predators, I should say, as their head coach. Uh, Green was fired, of course, by the Canucks in December of 2021. Well, the belief that Canada's men's soccer team can run with the big dogs took a bit of a hit at the World Cup last year and another hit last night at the Nations League final where they lost 2-0 to the Americans. Now, a lot of people thought maybe the tactics of John Herdman, the Canadian head coach, weren't right for this game. He says the problem is higher up the chain, and it has to do with money. I think it's not a secret. The organization has been suffering financially. You know, even through, you know, the World Cup qualification, you know, your head coach is raising money to make sure we've got charter flights, security on those charter flights. We, we've got to figure this out financially. There's, we've got to get serious about winning a World Cup. When you play at home, you get a chance to win it. You get a chance to get to a semi-final, a quarter-final, semi-final, and then get on that roll to win it. And we're not serious. 
We've brought a World Cup to our country, and we're not serious about winning it. Well, I don't think Canada's going to win the World Cup in 2026, no matter where they play it. Anyway, Don Mattingly and the Blue Jays were in Miami this afternoon, and it didn't go so well. Jorge Soler with a two-run shot there, and as you can see, the Marlins stuck the Jays pretty good. 11-0 was the final. There you go. Pitching, pitching, pitching. All right, thanks very much, Squire. Just ahead, a big celebration for BC Place, the place to be for the most iconic events of the past 40 years. Coming up. Busy news day rolls right into the evening. Jordan Armstrong is here with a preview of what's coming up on Global News at 11. Jordan. Chris, we will have the latest on that gathering underway at the Gurdwara on Scott Road in Surrey, where the temple president was shot and killed last night in what police are calling a targeted hit. Plus the apology from a White Rock counselor for throwing shade at a beloved fish and chip restaurant in the city. Why even with the mea culpa, this may not be the end of the Moby Dick drama. Also tonight, the reopening of the kit's showboat after it was damaged in a suspicious fire. All tonight at 11. Chris. Milestone and nice to see yep. that back. Thanks very much, Jordan. Okay, speaking of music venues, there aren't many bigger than BC Place, and it's celebrating 40 years. 40 years. It's hard to believe. Yeah, 1983 was when the big top went up, literally. Mm -hmm. And there have been, I mean, the amount of events that were there before they changed the roof, I mean, culminating in the 2010 opening and closing of the Winter Olympics, but so many, as you said, big bands, big games, big names, all going to BC Place, and it's still with us, albeit it looks different than it used to. And I think that we all will be proud of BC Place today, but today is just the beginning of the beginning for the most outstanding development in North America. The building that changed Yale Town from an eyesore to the place to be seen was, in fact, BC Place Stadium. It inflated everybody's ideas to make Yale Town what it is today, and it's still standing after 40 years, and its location is unique among big stadiums in North America. Yeah, they don't make them like this anymore. Stadiums now are being built out of city centers, surrounded by parking lots where people drive. You know, BC Place is, is not a building, it's a district, it's not a stadium, it's a community. We're right in the middle of the downtown core. BC Place was built in part to replace a rundown Empire Stadium at the PE, but its roof was the key because it allowed the stadium to reach beyond sports and host concerts and trade shows. However, its original design was not built to last. Carbon copies in Minnesota and Indianapolis were demolished. A rebuild right after the Olympics saved BC Place from the same fate. Would you consider this a remodeled building or a new building? I would say some of both. You know, it was, uh, it was definitely revitalized, remodeled to a degree, but I mean, when you look at the amount of structural work that was done, we built on the existing uh, bowl structure, but it's an entirely new roof system. And that roof system has made it the most prominent building in Vancouver. Under the old roof and the new one, we have seen Grey Cups, the Women's World Cup final, the opening and closing ceremonies at the Olympics, and coming up in three years, the Men's World Cup of Soccer. Well, there's been 36 million people through this building over the last 40 years. Those people are staying in hotels, they're spending in the city, they're, they're taking taxis, they're utilizing the airport. So it, 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 it's, a, it's a big player in the community. 
Queen Elizabeth, of course, was there to open mm -hmm. it up. And I do remember being in the stands way up near the top. The very first sporting event was the White Cats when they were in the old NASL against Seattle. There were 60,000 people. Wow. Like it was packed. I mean, yeah. people just wanted to see the stadium too, but it was packed. Yeah. Well, and, and it's so exciting to see those sevens rugby events there too. Yeah, where you get a lot of people in there. I mean, I know it's cost a lot of money and people didn't like that, but it's, it's given us a lot. Christy, roof's not going to be open for a while there at the new stadium though, right? Well, not for the, at least the next 24, 36 hours. Beyond that, Chris, though, as we transition to summer, it will feel like it. Oh, nice. All right, thanks, Christy. Thanks for watching, everyone. We'll see you back here tomorrow.